Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the boot camp yet again, and man, I'm excited. This is episode 97, and man, we're getting really close to 100. A couple of things that are coming up if you're listening to this on the day that it releases. If you're in the South Carolina area, man, we're about to be there with you, and we're so excited to be in South Carolina in, in a couple of weeks. But after that, at the end of this month, we have the Replant Summit. And man, I'm excited about Replant Summit coming up in Atlanta. Uh, some great speakers and great topics going to be going on with all of that. With the Olympics going on, with my birthday just finishing, my wife's birthday just finishing. Man, it's just a it's just a great great couple of things going on here and I'm excited to be on the screen with you again, the beautiful, brilliant, below average, the guru Bob Bickford. <laughs> Thanks for that interesting and dissonant introduction. And I'm just happy that I'm alive during the summer of Jimbo here as you're wrapping up a, a glorious summer in Jacksonville. Hey, and did you guys get some hurricane or tropical force storms the other day? I was think I was looking at something on the news. Either either this was happening, you know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, like every every afternoon in the summer around two or three, it feels like a tropical storm. Okay, all right. I, I couldn't remember if I saw a tropical storm or something with somebody got attacked by an alligator. It was some like some or both of those things. I think I couldn't remember. Yeah, those are those are fairly frequent occurrences around here. Both okay. of those things. So well, we just have shootings here in St. Louis, so, so we got that going on for us. <laughs> the big news in Jacksonville at the moment is a couple of things. Is one, there is been commissioned a like thirteen million dollar sculpture in downtown at the landing, uh, what's called the landing right there on the river, that's called Jacks, and it looks like it might be a cursive Jacks J A X, or it could be a cursive L E X, or a heart. There's been just a massive amount of local memes on the internet about what is this thing from? Is it the, is it the old paperclip from Microsoft Word or whenever oh, you need help? Is it, is it uh, all kinds of great fun things <laughs> about that? So that's big in Jacksonville news right now. And the other thing is, will Tim Tebow make the roster? Will he be officially a Jaguar? Well, you got a lot better uh, better things going on there in uh, Jacksonville than we do here in St. Louis. I mentioned the aforementioned crime, and now Jimbo, we are under mask mandate once again here mm-hmm. in the land of the STL. So it is what it is. Right? Yeah, it is what it is. There seems to be a rise of a lot of cases coming up, and so and so. I don't know, man. Who knows how it's going to end up playing out? Yep, all across the the country. So episode ninety seven. Here is what I want to bring up. Bob, for discussion is recently I got an opportunity to preach at First Baptist Orange Park as they are in conversation with a church to partner with them in a fostering replanting type situation where they will provide the the pastor, the replant pastor, and some leadership, and we're going to partner them with some other churches. And so they asked me to come preach there while the pastor from First Baptist Orange Park, David Tarkington, was at 
said church in need of replanting. And so I preached on why do we invest in dying churches? And I got a follow-up email from a member that was really great. Uh, And one of his things was just still trying to wrap his mind around, is it worth the investment? Is the return on investment worth what we get, right? And, And what we put into it. And, and so I thought it'd be a really great thing for us to discuss because ultimately sometimes it does come down to, and it has been the prevailing thought of a lot of people, man, let's just let that church die. Is it really worth all the work, all the effort to go into trying to be, bring that church back to life? Wouldn't it be easier, better, more efficient if we let that die and use the assets in some other way? And so... Bob, what what is your kind of first reaction to that question? Yeah. Is it easier? Yes. 100%. Is it more efficient? Yes, it's more efficient. (laughs) Here's the key. Is it better? Right. And that's really where we need to jump in and kind of have this conversation. I, I think, Jimbo, the first thought that goes through my mind is there was some point in time in history when a group of people said, you know what, that particular location and that place in the city or the town or the country that place needs a gospel outpost, a witness, a, a church. And so I think before you overlook that and don't dig around and explore that, I think you probably should, should you, get, you need to give that some attention to determine whether or not that, that season has passed. So there, there are times and places very rarely where, you know, there's a, a desertion of the population from a particular area. But most of the time, I think there's there's just a sense of, look, we need to kind of consider the history here that some people got together and decided there needs to be a church here. We need to understand that fully. You know, in the email that I got, one of the things he said is, is it really worth the time if we're just subsidizing something that's ineffective and we're just funding something? And what I would say is, is if that's all we're doing, then no, right? And so we got to go back to uh, our El Jefe, our boss, El Capitan, uh, the man himself, Mark Clifton, so well asked the question in his book, Reclaiming Glory, what about a dying church brings glory to God? And, and obviously the answer is nothing, right? Mm-hmm. This was his epiphany moment that he writes about, that there's nothing that brings God glory about a dying church. And what I would say is there's also nothing that brings God glory about funding and offering financial answers to what are spiritual and discipleship problems. Mm -hmm. And so all we're doing is delaying the inevitable and funding something that is not functionally what it's supposed to be, then I I don't think we're going to get the return on investment that we desire. And so when we say that dying churches are worth rescuing, what we don't mean is we just need to keep things the way they are for as long as we can. That church is functionally already dead, if that's what we're doing. We're just funding it. And so that's not what we mean. But one of the, here's one of the things I think about is if the community has a need for gospel-centered churches, then there's a, there's a reason to replant that dying church. And so to give the scenario of where that wouldn't be needed, if we're in a community of a hundred a population of 150 and that's it and there are already four other churches and the fifth church is dying then yeah maybe maybe we don't need that fifth church anymore the four is plenty to reach 150 people but 
more often than not, that's not what we're seeing, right? The, the, the data shows us that the majority of dying churches are actually in areas that are growing in population and not decreasing. And so if you consider that the average church in America is under 100 people, let's just be optimistic and say that we're, we're at 100. Uh, and are there lots of churches over 100? Yeah, there are a ton of churches over 100. But there are fewer churches than you would imagine under 250. Uh, I mean, more churches than you would imagine under 250. And so let's just even say 250. Uh, let's say one church can realistically reach 250 people, which would put it as a as a statistical anomaly amongst all the other churches in America, right? So if we just do 250 people, that means for every 250 people in the population, at least, there, there needs to be a church. And so I think you can—it's not an exact science here— but you can do some basic math and see. I know the church that I pastor, Redemption Church, in, in like a three-mile radius, there was like 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of people. There are a lot of other churches in that three-mile radius, but not near enough to reach 100,000 people with a gospel. And so each there are a need for as many gospel lights as we can get in communities where the population demands it. Absolutely. And I I think one of the things it's important for us to bring this into the conversation as well is that every church provides an opportunity to reach someone who is not presently being reached by the existing churches that are around. Hmm. Right. So let's say you're in a city and you got five churches and the fifth one needs to be replanted. And there's not everybody in that city is going to church. Not everybody in that city is going to any of those four remaining churches. So is it possible to replant a church, particular style of church or kind of church or a church that has a focus and a mission within a specific population group to reach more people? And I think one of the ways, Jimbo, we haven't mentioned this yet, but if the building is paid off and, and it's in decent shape, then why in the world would you not consider at least investing in it for a season to see if God could resurrect a gospel work there. And then which kind of segues into this next point. Here's one of the reasons why I, I think you should invest in dying churches. We cannot purchase in today's dollars what we built with yesterday's dollars. It's just impossible to do that. Inflation is an, an issue. Are you paying more for your Popeye's chicken sandwich these days, Jimbo? I, I, you bet you probably will. Oh, yeah. And paying more for gas for that forerunner. I know I'm paying more for my little red convertible. And so our money's going, it's not going as far as it has. And with the construction supplies being crazy, like you just, you need to to reclaim for God's glory and for kingdom purposes, those those facilities and those gospel outposts that exist, right? Sure, they probably need to be freshened up, you probably need to take some wallpaper down and maybe take down some, you know, cross stitch stuff. You need to clear out some plastic flowers, that sort of thing. You need to be slow on removing the flags from the podium, but you know, it's a service in many places. It's a serviceable building in a, in the nexus of a population center that you shouldn't just close it and let it become a subdivision, right. Or a, a financial planner's office or, you know, something like that. You, you really need to consider how to redeem that, that property for God's purposes. How much? How much was gas when you started driving, Bob? Jimbo, you're asking me to remember a long time ago, and so I think I could answer that maybe in two ways. Okay. 
I had this thing called a moped. Do you know, do you know what a moped is, Jimbo? Oh yeah, I know what a moped is. Moped is good. Okay, well I had a Honda Express, and when I was fourteen, uh, I drove that sucker around and enjoyed it, and you know had a little bit of a freedom as a middle schooler. And Jimbo, I think I paid maybe like seventy-five cents for gas, seventy-five cents a gallon for gas, maybe back in the day. Yeah. And that I remember when I started driving my car. I don't remember how much gas was back then, but I remember when I first started paying for my own gas on my lawn mowing money, it was about 75 cents. Yeah, well, I think it was 80, 85 or 87 cents when I started driving. And so it wasn't long after I started driving that it started to really climb uh, a lot more. But yeah, you're right. I mean, we cannot, you couldn't build what you ha- what you bought, right? I mean, there's just, with the same amount of money, there's just no there's just no way to do it. And so there, there is a stewardship of the assets and the resources there. And that takes me to one of my beliefs and convictions about replanting and revitalization. Uh, ultimately, one of the options is that we can just sell the property and take those assets and invest them in other kingdom works like church planting or replanting in other places. Mm-hmm. And there are times when that is what is needed. But here's my bias is still towards replanting or revitalization with the existing members involved, if possible. And here's why. There is a significant spiritual difference for the existing members in sticking around and helping a dying church grow and just handing over the property. Now, both, I believe, honor the Lord and are used by the Lord and, and, and to advance His kingdom. But it's kind of in my mind, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you are the guru, but in my mind, it's kind of like the same thing as like if you were going on a mission trip to a third world country or you were a missionary to a third world country, and I could either cut you a check, right, which is in the investment part, and it's a financial sacrifice, a sacrifice of assets, or I can get on a plane and go with you. And uh, at that point, when I get to that other culture, it's going to require me to die to self, to my cultural preferences, to die to myself in just a lot of ways in order to be effective missionally. You can't be a missionary in another culture without dying to yourself, at least not a good one. And in the same way, you can't replant a dying church and stick around and be a part of it without some level of dying to self and surrendering to Christ because the cultural preferences are most likely different. That's a big piece of why uh, things have to change, is the, the culture has changed. And so I think there is a really rich and beautiful multi-generational discipleship opportunity that comes with asking these existing members to go along for the ride and be a part of the process and see what God does in their life. And I tell you, man, one of my favorite moments as a replanter, Bob, what two two moments I can think of in particular is one when a lady in her 70s shared the gospel with someone for the very first time in her life. And she had been going to church for a very long time. And for the first time ever, she shared the gospel. She did that because she got stretched to embrace her community and, and share the gospel with her community. Another one was I remember a lady who had some issues with the way that we were doing some things. And one of the things I try to do, as we've talked about before, is is lead through the power of the Word of God, through the authority of the Word of God. And I can remember years into the process, and it took years, 
she, in a conversation with some other members about some things going on, said, as our pastor has taught us, we have to look and see what the Word of God says and surrender to that. That was not her posture when I first got there. That was not the way that she viewed leadership when I first got there. And to me, there's there's just some rich and beautiful discipleship opportunities that come along the when the when those members come along as a part of the process. Completely true. And it takes me, you know, that that's those stories take me to the replanter verse, you know, like Colossians one twenty eight and twenty nine. And part of our work is to help people become mature in Christ, to present people mature. And last time I checked, maturity is always a function of discipleship. The root word is discipline. And oftentimes when we experience discipline, it's at the point of of suffering to some degree, right? So we're suffering the loss of our preference. We're suffering the loss of our agenda before the Lord's. And the reality is in many replants, the reason they are in need of replanting is there's been deficient discipleship. So the normal course of action to engage as a disciple of a dying church is to die to myself, right? Rather than hold on to my preference. And so spot on analysis by you as, as you know, you explain those stories. I think it is a great joy to see a long time Christian move into a new place of walking with the Lord and, God does get the glory, and that does create excitement, and and that's much more than than if you just gave the building, you know, to and became a, a you know like a partnership replant, and all of a sudden you just the the identity of the church goes away, and and you have this overnight flip a switch off, flip a switch on, and then the folks just kind of hang out there, and they're not quite sure what happened, right? Now, there's a lot of process that goes on before that happens, and so I don't want to discount, so I don't want the listener to say, you know. Bob's against campusing or adoption or mergers or that sort of thing. I'm not, but it's a different story when, when it's a slower, longer process that requires the folks that have been engaged in, in ministry in that dying church to really change. And uh, I think they're, they're better for it and the kingdom is better for it. And God does get glory from it. I think one of the other things that we see as a positive benefit of replanting a dying church is that it becomes an encouragement to other churches that are struggling in the area and in, in many ways and can kind of spur them on and can give them hope. It can move people out of a defeatist mindset of, well, you know, churches are just dying. They're just declining. Culture's so different and we can't keep up. And when they see hope in another church that was dying and is eventually seeing God move in some mighty ways and uh, seeing new vibrancy and health in that church, it, it lets them know that that's possible where they are as well. And mm-hmm. where I've seen that really play out in some beautiful ways is when I've seen those churches start to partner together on mission and and move out of the mindset of competition and into cooperation. And so, man, as long as the the size and density of lostness in the population demands uh, need for more gospel light in that location, then I think there's a need to replant. And I think it's great if we can have the existing members be a part of it so they can be discipled, so we can well steward the resources and assets that were invested in the kingdom at one point in a way that we could not do again if we started from scratch at today's prices. And I think it really does help other churches around the community as well. 
Exactly true. And really, I think that if you listen to um, Clifton's, you know, testimony, when he got into replanting, it was a, a switch for him because he talks about the fact that everybody, and me including him, was running away from dying churches saying it's not worth it. But I think the things that we've, you know, laid out here that you just summarized are are indicators that it, it is worth it. Is it going to be hard? Yes. Is it maybe not as quick and efficient? Absolutely. Is it a struggle and do you have a guaranteed success? Um, you don't have guaranteed success and it is absolutely a struggle. But I think in the end, it, there's some really awesome things about replanting. And so I'm thankful to be a part of a movement that focuses on it. Yeah. Let me ask you one more question uh, as we come to the end of our time. What would be a scenario in which we would say, you know, probably what's best is to just sell the assets and reinvest them into some other form of kingdom work? Man, that's a hard one. You kind of put me on the spot there because how could I say it, you know, generally for 47,000 churches in our SBC family and then, you know, thousands more beyond that. I think you probably have to look at a couple of things. One, you have to look at the area to see are there pockets of lostness and people to be reached. Two, in order for us to do that in an effective and meaningful way, is it cost prohibitive for us to invest resources necessary in this facility, right? So, you know, if you've got a facility that has half a million dollars worth of, you know, repairs that have to be done and the largest capacity that you you probably, you know, whatever reach would, you know, let's just say it's going to be a handful because it's, you know, it's a small auditorium. And I have seen some really small auditoriums, um, sanctuaries, and it's like, why did you, why did you build such a small sanctuary, right? Like, I don't understand that. And why do they always put the bathrooms right behind the platform? So you have to walk past the preacher while he's preaching in order to go to the bathroom. I think people could hold it a lot longer back in those days, Jimbo. That's my my theory. <laughs> but on the rare occasions where you have a facility that is just a disaster and you have a population that is very small and kind of non-existent and let's couple that maybe with you've got some real effective churches that are you know right down the street or next door you might consider repurposing and reinvesting the proceeds from that facility maybe right but i i just want to caution just be very cautious in saying you know it's hard to say that in a general way, and it's it's much more effective to do a full analysis of a specific location and ask. But those, if you're just asking me, those are some reasons why I might say you you take a look at it in a different way. Yes, I would say the large part, both of us would agree that, man, more often than not, there are plenty of kingdom reasons to invest in and help dying churches uh, see a new day. So, listener, here's the deal. We would love some feedback from you. What What do you see as some reasons to invest in dying churches that we didn't mention or reasons to not? Give us some feedback. Let us know. And see you guys soon, hopefully even at the Replant Summit at the end of August in Atlanta. We'd love to see you in person there. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches, big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.